Thank goodness, I thought. 2018, a two-year, it's over! Maybe now we can all calm down from the wild and undisciplined emotions and the constant pressure to listen to ourselves think. Thank goodness! It was only toward the end of the year I heard esoteric astrologer Heidi Rose Robbins describe 2018 as the year of death and rebirth. Wow, did she get that right? And then 2019 walked through the door. Hi folks, I'm Anne-Marie, the Soulful Therapist. There are natural, gentle ways to heal, discover yourself and find meaning in the world. Let me introduce you to them. I'm a psychotherapist, past life therapist, clinical hypnotherapist, master knitter, Reiki master, teacher, author and seer. I specialise in trauma, helping young people and spiritual development. Before we begin, I want to invite you to an experiential workshop for the Soulful Living Program. This is an evening of meditation and conversation. And also to invite you to nature naps for grown-ups. This one is an afternoon of earthing and tree therapy. So both of these are free. And to register in either these or some other workshops, you can just go to my website, look for the link in the podcast show notes, or register through my appointment link. That's www.annemariemcglasson.com. 2019. Self-expression and growth. I was so looking forward to it. A year of words and creativity, optimism and social outings. I love creating for you. So my year began explosively. The podcast, the Soulful Living program, the redesign of my website, and finally, making appointment scheduling accessible for Gen Zs. I was pretty proud of myself for that. It was after that gargantuan effort, I remembered Heidi Rose Robbins' projection for 2019. This would be a year for incredible growth. But if we didn't want to be overwhelmed, we really did need to create structure to contain it within. And then... I started hearing stories of people using their self-expression in destructive ways. And I watched social media have a complete meltdown. People's unique views and experiences, great questions and rational conversation were buried under an avalanche of judgment and labelling. Compassion and understanding became a casualty in the service of right. Blame became the solution of the day and people crawled into cocoons of confirmation bias. Seek first to understand, and then be understood. I don't remember when I first heard this quote. It's such a wonderful healing principle to apply to our interactions. It cuts through the separation between us as human beings and helps us all move towards a kinder society. I couldn't work out why this meltdown was happening. Had we not left the two-year behind? I set about trying to understand it, and I found a quote from Edmund Harold. Having endured the restrictions of the two-year, the three-year will be a joy, for it's a year for the experience of many delights. Wow, okay. So what was I looking at? Did what I was observing align with numerology in a way I was yet to understand? Was this the burning ground that William Meader talks about, or was something else at play? 
Time to put on my super cape and engage the higher discerning mind. One thing life has taught me is, when you're stuck, review the evidence. So that's where I started. Just as there are global and personal astrological influences, there are global and personal numeric vibrations. When we add the numbers together in 2018, we get a total of 11. And in this case only, when dealing with the current year, we can reduce 11 to 2 by adding it together. So 2018 was a two-year and was governed by the moon, which is also often called, in esoteric astrology, the prison of the soul. It was a year of emotion with opportunities to come into harmony with ourselves and others. 2018 was a year to learn to be adaptable, responsible to authority, cooperative and help others with their ideas. We needed to be diplomatic and patient and especially deal with those minor details. But karma and emotions ran high. So if we weren't paying attention, we were confronted with the opposite. We may have discovered ourselves being oversensitive, fearful, stubborn, and adopting a superficial outlook, but it was a good year to develop spiritual sensitivity. I remember thinking at the end of 2018, thank goodness that's over. Two years are difficult, and yay, 2019, a three year of self-expression and growth. Bring it on, I thought. What I forgot, was that numbers have positive and negative vibrations and that numerology was not the only element influencing people. I forgot to consider life as a hero's journey and I forgot one of the fundamental principles of esoteric philosophy. Life is the resolution of paradox. What I didn't know was that the law of opposites was in play and the solution was to own the opposites as I had been doing for years. I sat there listening to my friend's news. I was appalled. Every now and again, we're privileged enough to find a beautiful soul with a heart filled with kindness who always tries to do the right thing and then awesomely, we get to be friends. I was horrified to learn of her recent dramas. She'd been tricked, preyed upon, vilified and taken advantage of. Her delight in a new romance had been sabotaged by relentless manipulation. Her right to daily peace and harmony had been disrupted and hijacked by a downward spiral of deliberate negativity. Her joy had been stolen. It hurt my heart. Why is it that beautiful people get taken advantage of for their generosity? I asked myself. How does that happen? I was really cross. And then a bell began chiming in my head. And through the escalating drama, I heard something else. I heard the hero's story. P.S. In my storytelling, the word hero is interchangeable with heroin. What's the hero's story? In A Practical Guide to the Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, Christopher Vogler writes, 
Mythographer Joseph Campbell wrote what many consider to be the most influential book of the 20th century, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. What he outlines in this book is that, in his study of world myths, they are all basically the same story, retold with infinite variation. He discovered that all storytelling, conscious or not, follows the ancient patterns of myth and that all stories, from the crudest jokes to the highest flights of literature, can be understood in terms of the hero myth. Campbell was a student of the Swiss psychologist Carl Jung. You know how fond I am of Jung. And the ideas in his book are often described as Jungian. The book is based on Jung's idea of the archetypes, constantly repeating characters that occur in the dreams of all people and the myths of all cultures. Jung believes that these archetypes are reflections of the human mind, that our minds divide themselves into these characters to play out the drama of our lives. The repeating characters of the hero myth, such as the young hero, the wise old man, the shape-shifting woman and the shadowy nemesis are identical with the archetypes of the human mind as shown in dreams. And that's why myths and the stories constructed on mythological models are always psychologically true. Such stories are true models of the workings of the human mind, true maps of the psyche. They are psychologically valid and realistic, even when they portray fantastical, impossible, unreal events. And this accounts for the universal power of these stories. Stories built on the model of the hero myth have an appeal that can be felt by everyone because they spring from a universal source in the collective unconscious and because they reflect universal concerns. They deal with universal questions like why was I born? What happens when I die? And how can I overcome my life problems and be happy? What a wonderful way to describe this work. Thank you, Christopher Vogler. The short form of the hero story is, the hero's ordinary world is disrupted by a call to adventure. Reluctant at first, our hero is encouraged by a wise being to cross a threshold and encounter tests and helpers. And when he reaches an innermost cave, he endures a supreme ordeal. Seizing a sword or a treasure, he's then pursued on the road back to his world, but is finally resurrected and transformed by the experience. Upon return to the ordinary world, the hero has a treasure or a boon or an elixir that benefits the whole world. The hero's journey has been used to write books and films. George Lucas credited Joseph Campbell's hero journey as influencing his Star Wars saga. But it can also be used to come to an understanding of pretty well any human problem, which is pretty handy. Now, maybe it's because I saw Star Wars as an impressionable 11-year-old, but viewing my life as some sort of fantastical story has always made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> but then a lot of the events of my life have been pretty fantastical listening to my friend, as the bell chimed in my head, I recognised something wonderful. My friend's uncomfortable Christmas. 
was really a hero's journey. Her ordinary life was disrupted by a call to love. Reluctant at first, I encouraged her to cross the dating threshold to encounter tests of vulnerability, enemies disguised as friends, true friends, and soulmates. She endured a supreme ordeal but was resurrected and transformed by the experience. And she returned to the everyday world, bringing with her the ultimate treasure of love, loyalty, and new beginnings. She was no longer the victim of a predatory drama queen. She didn't need to wonder what she'd done wrong by inviting the dragon into her life. The role of the dragon was to catapult her into a new life at a pace, speed and timeliness that would not have been possible without the dragon. Thank you, dragon. I've always felt a strong affinity for the concept of paradox. It's my favourite mental playground. I was actually pretty new to my career when I realised that the key to unlocking change often resided with the opposite of what was expected. I love that word, counterintuitive. It makes no sense to turn around and reverse everything and then consider whether it's more true than what I'm looking at. But over and over, I've proved that it works. I think one of the first times I considered paradox as a therapeutic tool was when I was confronted with arrogance. Anybody else here that is driven crazy by arrogance? Hmm. I could clearly identify how someone was destroying relationships he wanted. He oozed confidence and walked with a swagger. He claimed status and automatic entitlement of a white Western man. He made use of that status to claim what he wanted and blocked others from receiving a share of what was on offer. Now, if they gave him feedback about it, he belittled them and automatically expected they would self-correct their feelings to accept a reality where he was the central figure. And you know what the sad thing about that was? He was actually a nice guy. Atrocious behaviour, but a nice guy. He was kind to animals, he was kind to his mother, and he was respected by his peers. He was a good guy to have in a tight corner. He had your back. And he was completely clueless as to why his relationships were not functional. I puzzled and puzzled over it. He kept insisting that his world was perfect and asking, what is wrong with other people? And it took me a while to work it out. In the end, I imagined a coin and I asked myself, okay, if arrogance is on one side of the coin, and I turn it over, what's on the other side? If extreme self-confidence is on one side of the coin, and I turn it over, what's on the opposite side of the coin? Lack of self-confidence and fear was the answer I came up with. But was that true? And as improbable as it seems, it was. In his book Shine Forth, William Meader writes, 
paradox is inherent in every duality. And to resolve duality is to transcend it. Physics describes how we live in a dual world. Newton's third law states that all forces between two objects exist in equal magnitude and opposite direction. The third law means that all forces are interactions between different bodies or different regions of one body. There is no such thing as a force that is not accompanied by an equal and opposite force. The action and the reaction are simultaneous, and it doesn't matter what is called the action and what is called reaction. Both forces are part of a single interaction, and neither force exists without the other. So how does knowing this help? How do we resolve duality? How do we own opposites? How do we take so much responsibility that we rise above the pain and the conflict? Ding! Inexplicably, coincidentally and perfectly, messenger sounded and sitting there was a gift from a joyful and gentle soul, a YouTube video called 2019 Pisces Wisdom of the Zodiac. The Law of Opposites. Hmm. What's this? It was accompanied by a message. Happy Pisces full moon and a smiley face. Ah, of course. It's a Pisces full moon tomorrow. What a lovely and thoughtful gift. I just love her. And I started watching. This Pisces lesson focuses on learning how to handle opposition in your life. As you build a bridge, opposition will come out. And the law of Pisces uses these opposites to bring out the beauty that is sleeping within you. Whether the opposite is an attitude, an experience, an action, or a person, don't change the opposite. Don't embrace them. Look at them and say, what are you about? And what is the power inside of me that needs to come out and face this challenge? And there was more. If you watch yourself, the times of most intense growth are when you meet an obstacle or an adversary and rely on yourself, your own wisdom, truth and discipline. Ask yourself, when have I done that? Savour these moments of triumph, creativity and joy. Focus on these things. It's important. Gita Sari Darian was gentle and genuine and she had even more practical steps for melting opposites, for resolving duality and life felt like it settled into place for me. Here were the answers I was after. The practical how-to I could pass on to others. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It's in the Bible. It's my favourite science experiment and I just love it when it works. Gita continued to read from the Wisdom of the Zodiac, a book written by her father. Torquem Saridarian studied esoteric philosophy from a child and throughout his lifetime... The full moons were the cornerstone of his work. 
and tuning into their rhythm was the process by which he worked and served. The book described a practical way for working to transcend opposites over the five-day period of the full moon. But it was really clear to me, this framework could also be used as a step-by-step strategy. I knew this because, all unknowingly, I'd been using it for years. Step 1. Observe the obstacles and discover which side of your nature is hurt. Step 2. Observe the obstacles to discover how did they come into being. Step 3. Observe why and how the opposites attack you. Step 4. Determine what potentials you must develop to master the obstacles. And step 5. Find ways to turn the poison of the obstacles into nectar. And as I listened, I realised that I've been working at transcending opposites for years that it was my Pisces nature that had led me to integrate paradox into my clinical work from the beginning of my career. Had this adventure into owning opposites been in fact my own hero's journey? I'll let you decide. As a final note, A link to the Pisces Wisdom of the Zodiac video, which I highly recommend, is in the show notes on my website, www.annemariemaglasson.com. If you want to review the positive and negative numeric vibrations for 2018, remember that's a two, and 2019, that would be a three, just listen to episode two, Soulful Numbers, and remember there are supporting documents there as well. I love getting questions and I need more of them. You can record your questions on your smartphone and email them to me at anne at I'll do my best to answer questions every week. So just recently I had somebody reach out to me for some advice. Grief can be a really big issue for people. Um, as white Westerners, we actually don't have much of a framework for what happens next unless you've been fortunate enough to be raised within uh, a religious Uh, outlook, um, then it can be incredibly concerning and frightening and worrying um, when, you know, people around us die. And we're human beings and these bodies only last a certain amount of time. So I had this beautiful person reach out and say that a family member was really struggling, that someone close to them had died, and that not only were they not managing the grief, they were actually in shock as well. And they just said, what can we do to help? Grief is such an interesting process. It is part of life and it is really scary. There are different frameworks for actually understanding what happens when people die. And sometimes if people spend a long time ill before their death, we've got a chance to really look into and discover what do we think about death. Esoteric philosophy talks about the first death 
which is the death of the body, which is what white Westerners consider to be, you know, true death. And then they talk about the second death. And the second death happens anywhere from minutes to quite some days after the death of the physical body. And this is the death of the mental, emotional self. So there are two aspects for this grief. And this is why sometimes people will say, I feel like they're still here, uh, because in essence, part of them actually still is there. And then at a certain point, all of the beautiful experiences and the lessons learned, and yep, our mistakes too, then get uploaded up to the soul. And then at that point, we decide, hmm, what are we going to do next? Do we come back? Do we not come back? You know, what is it that we're going to do? Because this fits really, really well if you're Buddhist, Hindu, or some other cultural belief system that believes in reincarnation. I know these ideas are a bit challenging for people who have a Christian background. So what do we do? First of all, sometimes just having these conversations with people about what do you think happens just having a chance to put fear and grief and worry into words can be incredibly healing. So if you have somebody who's struggling with grief or you're struggling with grief, find a beautiful person to talk to or be that beautiful person for somebody else. There are lots of energy therapies that actually work really well with grief. Reiki can be incredibly effective for shock. And in this case, um, my assessment was that this particular person was suffering from shock. And just fortunately, the person that reached out for the advice actually had learned some Reiki. So I said, go, have your conversations, give them some Reiki for the shock, knowing that also there was deep love in that relationship so that that was actually going to be beneficial as well. The third thing that I think can be quite helpful, and this is where, for example, somebody is grieving and the grief doesn't seem to be shifting. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was our first pioneer in grief, and she outlined for us various stages of grief and how as we progress through grief, we experience different feelings. Um, she set it out in a step-by-step process. Of course, everybody's unique, so um, it, it's not lockstep. Um, people are quite unique and individual and need quite different things when they're grieving. But people can get stuck. And oftentimes you'll find when there's been a death, uh, families can almost like lock into this battle um, where, you know, somebody's angry and then everybody's angry. And of course, that's a part of the grief process. So if everybody just breathes and remembers that, generally you come through okay. (laughs) If you don't remember it, it can get stuck and then you can end up with some relationships changing quite dramatically. So if you feel like you or someone you know has actually perhaps become a bit stuck in grief, What do you do about that? Once again, have that conversation with people or have the conversation with yourself. What do you feel could help? And maybe your way of getting through it is surfing. Maybe your way of getting through it is sitting under a tree. There are no right ways to grieve. Uh, Maybe your way is to, you know, spend time with friends. There are definitely wrong ways to do it. Drugs alcohol to the point where you're affecting your ability to function in the world, definitely wrong. But there's some really, um, some out of the box remedies that can actually be quite helpful. My favorite, of course, is the past life therapy. There's absolutely nothing like having the experience of being reunited with soulmates in other lifetimes for you to truly realize that 
Love never dies. And I guess that's really the key message to all of this. Grief, especially where people are stuck in grief, is just not understanding that particular principle. Love never dies. So I really recommend if someone you know or yourself stuck in grief, perhaps give that one a bit of a shot. So if you'd like a little bit of insight into how past life therapy can be helpful and what it's like to reunite with a soulmate, have a bit of a listen to episode three, Past Life Travellers. It's my lived experience, but it'll give you a bit of a taste as to what you can expect in a past life therapy experience. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And I love reading the comments on iTunes. Your requests for spiritual mentoring and storytelling have created something really special. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please share with a friend or two. See you next time.